You're listening to Turf Show Radio. With the first pick in the 2016 NFL Draft, the Los Angeles Rams select Jared Goff, quarterback, California. John Austin, and a nickel back from the Bears. Also, took early. Here's it up. Oh, he drops it in the bucket. Kenny Britt is gone. Touchdown. Give it to Gurley. Gurley extending to the goal line. Touchdown. Todd Gurley. That puts him at 1,000 yards on the button in his rookie season. And now, here's your host. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Turf Show Times, Turf Show Radio. I am your host, Josh Webb. And with me, as always, is my loyal co-host and Sherpa up the mountain of 7 and 9 BS, Mr. Joe McAtee. Joe, how you doing today, man? That's me. Something, something, Sherpa, something, something, resume. (laughs) For those of you who uh, listen to the show regularly, you'll know that we always have problems. And as usual, we had a problem. So we've recorded this intro once already. So hence the blah, 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 blah. Uh, But this week, we are very pleased to be joined by Mr. Steve Weish from the NFL Network, uh, who you can follow on Twitter at Weish. 89 that's w-y-c-h-e 89 steve thank you so much for taking even more time out of your day to spend with us no it's all good man thanks for having me on this is going to be fun i agree and uh to kick off the fun joe why don't you uh why don't you start things out here man and we'll just kind of go from there well, now you make it. See, now I have to come up with something fun. I was going to start with the not fun. So let me start with the not fun stuff. Let's get that out of the way. Um, Steve, just wanted to get your perspective on uh, first off the Rams. You know, as a franchise, relocating from St. Louis, and I want to get to that in a second. Knowing that you're from the area, um, just kind of a state, of, a state of the franchise from from where you sit and given your you know access from within the halls uh, there. How how would you define you know the trajectory of the Rams? Obviously, at four and six, it's not necessarily where they want to be. But are they comfortable that things are getting better? Are they comfortable now that Jared Goff has made his NFL debut that things are headed maybe in the quote-unquote right direction? Or do they feel that maybe 2016, despite the move, uh, was overall a pretty big setback thus far? I don't think they're going to call it a setback. Um, And comfortable? No, nobody's comfortable uh, with the on-field product. I mean – this is, you know, this season for the for the Rams organizationally is much bigger than than the record right now, than the four and six mark. They want to be better. Um, they hate the fact that Todd Gurley is is not having the season that they expect. That he's not become the face of L.A. or that Jared Goff just made his debut. They had they had other plans, but organizationally, they feel like they're in a pretty good spot. I mean, in terms of they just broke ground on the new stadium. There are 80,000 football fans, not all of them Rams fans, as we know, but 80,000 football fans coming to the, to the Coliseum thus far. And they, and they have been welcomed to L.A. So I think for everything they've been through, um, you know, we, we've seen coaches and teams and players have to deal with the threat of relocation. But to actually go through everything what these guys have gone through has been pretty, you know, they, they've been pretty solid. But I do think on the field, 
um, some of the stuff should not should not necessarily carry over. I mean, if these guys these guys are young, they like to talk about how young they are all the time. These guys play football, man, and and then defensively and, and on special teams, they've been spectacular. Offensively, they have been dreadful, and you know I think that's the thing. Being in LA, style points do matter, and this the offense is quite lacking on style and on points. And I'll leave it at that. For ref- well, I was just going to say, what is the referendum on this? And then I'll kick it over to the Josh. Is you mentioned the idea that you know they wanted Jared Goff, Todd Gurley, to become the face of this franchise and kind of you know in, in a vacuum that's been left by Kobe Bryant. Let's be honest that, that you know the the timing of this synced up pretty well. Uh, you go back to when you know they announced the trade and the fact that they waited for Kobe Bryant to be able to have the spotlight before they even kicked off the uh, report of that trade. Um, did, have they wasted that opportunity? Do you think that opportunity still exists for Todd Gurley and Jared oh, yeah. Goff to to gain that spotlight, or do you think it's missed? And you know the fact that they haven't done yeah. it. Uh, what does that mean? No, I mean I, I don't. I don't think. I think for anyone to judge this team on its first year, um, as someone said to me, you know, it, it's crazy. It's like an expansion team with roots. Um, right. It's not quite that, but for anyone to judge, you know. Jared Goff on, you know, not starting for 10 weeks and then finally starting or Todd Gurley on having the type of season saying, Hey, we, we've wasted their year, you know, this year. That, that's not fair. I mean, Gurley's only in his second year. Goff's only in his first year. Um, you know, you start wasting years and you start talking about Phillip Rivers, you know, and guys like that who are, you know, gone so long in, in futility. But um, I, I do think, you know, they had an opportunity. You know, all we heard around the draft is we've got a good enough defense, good enough running game to support Jared Goff. Okay, well, we don't see Jared Goff for 10 weeks. Now, where's that running game? So I think, you know, you have to ask yourself, watching the team week after week, what are they offensively? We have no clue. I mean, you've got games where Case Keenum's throwing the ball more than 50 times. What is that? Um, that that's nobody's secret to success unless you're Drew Brees or Tom Brady. What you got, Josh? Yeah, I, I want to he, – he mentioned a phrase in there that kind of stuck out to me, and this is sort of like this prolonged futility. But you look at Jeff Fisher, who's in year five of his deal, hasn't had a winning season since, well, I was an undergraduate. Um, and And, you know, as Joe always likes to bring up, this is his second rebuild. With the same team. Now, most coaches don't get that opportunity, but Jeff Fisher has gotten that opportunity. Now, there were other extenuating circumstances involved. Obviously, Fisher's history with the Titans and the move is a big factor why the Rams wanted to keep him around. He'd been through this process, and and you don't want to understate how important that is to have somebody to be able to navigate those waters when a franchise is moving, especially from maybe a more beloved community like St. Louis to a much more uh, voracious and almost bloodthirsty media of, of LA. Um, you, you know, it seems like it, now Fisher, all of the things that he did in St. Louis are coming to bear, coming to the front of, of the situation here in Los Angeles. How much longer internally do the Rams put up with Fisher delivering sub-500 seasons? Because at the end of the day, most 
most coaches are judged by wins and losses. That doesn't seem to be the case here. Do you have any insight as to why that is? Yeah, I mean, first off, I mean, I think, you know, I think Jeff Fisher will be back next year, you know, unless there's just an absolute hemorrhaging at the back end of the season, which is a possibility looking at their schedule. But I, I think the fact that he did navigate a move, um, there were all, there were so many things he was asked to do. It, it's, it's incredible knowing some other head coaches who wouldn't have done half the things he had to do, like, you know, so many of the media responsibilities, some of the community responsibilities. There's a lot of guys who just like, I coach football, figure out somebody else to do that stuff. But he did it. Um, you know, so, so I think Stan Kroenke's going to give him um, at least another year to figure it out. Now, will some of his coaches survive? Probably not. Um, I think some things absolutely have to change, especially on the offensive side. Don't know if he'll change coordinators or play callers again. Um, but, you know, look, I, I just don't think it's a situation as frustrated as some people are um, with what's happened with the Rams. I, I just think the on-field record, if, if they're right around 500 again, you know, they're not going to flip out. However, I, I do think you, you need to see some promise, some type of hope from Goff and Gurley. If they keep going down this rabbit hole, you know, that, that they're on right now, that they're, that they're headed down right now, then people are going to be like, well, you know, what is this? We've got a great defense, but what do we have here? You know, what, what's going on? So I, I think there needs to be some some hope in these in these final few weeks um, for those guys to show something for this offense, to show some life, for people to get excited about it. Um, but, yeah, I, I think I think right now they've got, you know, the honeymoon period is not quite over yet. Well, I'm going to switch gears for a second because I don't want to spend an entire podcast talking about Jeff Fisher, though undoubtedly we will come back to him. Though one of the things that you talk about, you talk about these little improvements that need to be made. Well, the single thing that jumps out to me in moving from covering college in USC and Fresno State to, to the Rams is they have to be one of the most undisciplined teams I've ever seen in my life. Yep. But... But as Joe likes to say, and I really had to see it for myself to process it, it's part of the system. You cannot eliminate those penalties because it's accepted within the system. It's accepted within the culture. Yet, as we saw on Sunday, stupid-ass penalties come back to bite you in the butt in games that – you know, you talk about soccer or something like that. They say, would this be a fair result? I mean, it probably wouldn't be a fair result to the Rams the way that they lost, but anybody who's watched the Rams over the past five years would absolutely say it's a fair result. What do they do about penalties like that that just kill them, and probably a lot of fans too? Well, you know, it goes back to the culture. It really does. I mean, you you know, we all watch Hard Knocks. You know, it's, it's not the tightest run ship, and – you know, it comes back full circle. I mean, look what happened up in Minnesota. Mike Zimmer went up there right away in a couple of years, and his team's not his teams don't get penalized. They don't make dumb mistakes. They play through injury. I mean, look what Jack Del Rio has done with the Raiders. Even that they had a game this year. What they had twenty three penalties, I believe, at least twenty penalties in a game. They haven't come close to that again because Jack Del Rio uh, and his staff and the orga- organizationally, they're not going to have. But more importantly, they've got players like Derek Carr. You know, and Khalil Mack, who aren't going to tolerate it. 
So, you know, you have to, especially the, the level of, the level of accountability from top to bottom is, is where it starts. And, and that's something that you don't necessarily always see with the Rams, you know, and, and I told people, you know, one thing about my job, I get to cover all 32. And when you see teams like Seattle or green Bay or the giants or some of these teams practice, um, you, you see how tight their practices are. You see others, there's no room, you know, for, for the grad assing type of stuff, you know, and that's when I saw the Raiders, you know, this summer, you see the talent meshed with how they work. And I was telling everybody I could, you know, who to listen, the Raiders are going to be good this year. They've, they've tightened a lot of things up. Rams haven't tightened up a lot of things. I mean, they, they, you saw again in hard knocks and at some of their practices, that's a loose group. And even though Jeff Fisher tries to rein them in at certain times, it is not ingrained. And when now what happens is you've got guys who've been there for three or four years who figure out, well, this is how we always do it. Well, you know, it, it's not working. So now if Jeff Fisher all of a sudden tries to be the tough guy, then people are going to be like, what's, what's going on with him? Now he's trying to be a tough guy. So it's, he, he's, he's walked a fine line. And now, you know, I, I, I don't care if he you know, comes off as a tough guy or not. They make the same mistakes every week. And again, the accountability just doesn't seem to be there. Yep, and just a little quick interlude here. We're talking with Steve Weish of the NFL Network, and you can see Steve throughout the week on the NFL Network's Up to the Minute Live at 1 p.m. Pacific. Joe, what you got for us? No, it was just interesting. You know, you mentioned the idea of the looseness of the culture, and the the, the one the one thing that what's the right way to put it? the Rams because Jeff Fisher has so such a long history in this league. Uh, you know, and just tied Tom Landry on the all time losses list. I think he's now second and what three behind uh, Dan Reeves for the record. Um, you you get you get to have a chance of seeing these things reinforced because he's been around so long. And so when you talk about the looseness of the culture, he's got a number one overall quarterback that's waited ten weeks to make his first start. And the first practice you get as him as the the announced starter, and you got Britney Spears and one of the Los Angeles Dodgers at practice. That was that was one of those. And I know I, as as an outsider as a fan, you know you don't want to read too much in it, but it just kills me. It's one of those things that you just want it to be a focused practice. Get the install in, make sure he's comfortable and focused on the game and you got Britney Spears there on NFL Network that's the kind of thing that kills me Steve let me let me ask you this you were talking about um you know the the idea that part of the the relocation and a part of what Fisher's had to go through and had to tolerate as a head coach the kind of things that he's been asked to do you said you know the the fact that you get to go around all these other franchises and you get a sense of their culture do you get a sense that the that that the on-field product that wins and losses have as much of an impact on the decision-making process for this franchise as other franchises. And what types of decisions? Yeah. Well, in, in, in terms of, you know, influence that the owner and the, and the front office has on, I, I, not necessarily game to game, but season to season. It, it just seems that now this is a fan as an outsider, as somebody who's not within, you know, any access into that team per se. It just doesn't seem like wins and losses necessitate uh, functional change for the franchise, and, and and maybe I'm wrong there. Maybe I maybe I've got you know mistakes in the kind of things that you see, the kinds of community efforts and the kind of things that he has to do, and those things uh, that those don't weigh up to the decisions that you know ownership, that front office has to be able to make to to guide this franchise because ultimately they're the ones in charge. 
it just seems like those other things that you alluded to, the things that Jeff Fisher did that other head coaches maybe wouldn't be asked to do, that those seem more valuable to the franchise than ultimately the wins and losses. The the, the fact that you that's, said, that's, that's, you know, it, no, go ahead. No, that's a great point. A great question. I see exactly where you're headed with this. And, uh, you know, I think you nailed it. I mean, look, it's a situation for the last two years in St. Louis, you know, the owner was trying to get out of town. Right. And this year, the owner got out of town, and he's in a new town. So Stan Kroenke's focus has been getting this deal done, getting out of St. Louis, and getting to Los Angeles. I'm sure he would love to have a Tinseltown Hollywood script upon arrival. It's not happening that way. Um, but I think Stan Kroenke's main priority the past few years has been getting to Los Angeles, getting established, Um the wins and losses, I don't think 0 and 16 or 1 and 15 would have been okay. But I think the fact that you do see, you know, this great defense and, you know, Todd Gurley was fantastic last year, at least. And, and it would, I think it would with a lot of organizations say, okay, we've got building blocks. We can, we can build a team until we find a quarterback. Um, you know, the Raiders went through it, you know, once Reggie McKenzie first got there. I mean, look at how woeful they were and, and things like that. And now they've turned the corner now that they've gotten the quarterback. Um, but, yeah, I mean, again, I, I mean, I, your, your question is fantastic. And your point was well made. I just think Stan Kroenke's, you know, the 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 final result, so to speak, was not so much wins and losses, but it was getting to Los Angeles. And now the on-field product, maybe not, not, even, not even starting this year, the on-field product becomes more of a factor into the future of this franchise. Yeah, well, just, it's, it's kind of what, I was just going to say, Josh, one, real quick, is the idea that you had uh, about Jeff Fisher, that if you've got this loose culture and then all of a sudden you try to change tech and say now – you know, I'm going to take a more hard line. I'm going to be more of a disciplinarian that it doesn't necessarily sit because you've established this kind of, you know, culture that, that it just felt that same way from the top, from ownership, that maybe the, 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 the output, the actual product of the team wasn't as important because, like you said, he had this bullseye. He had this target. And, and understandably, from a business standpoint, that was out there. And just the idea that now if that's going to change, it kind of has that same awkwardness and it kind of has that same uh, – yeah, yeah, lack of not necessarily lack of sincerity on Kroenke's part, but just from a fan standpoint, it's hard to change that over the course of a franchise just because you move. What were you going to say, Josh? I was actually going to add in that you have the added benefit of being an Arsenal fan, so there's some you see yeah. how Kroenke operates w- within the Arsenal franchise, and you look at how long Banger's been there, and just. You can tell if you look at a lot of Kroenke's businesses, if you were just to do a quick sociological-like glance, wins and losses don't seem to be the determinant when it comes to head coaching positions, though I would say that doesn't necessarily extend to position coaches, as you were hinting, or even coordinators, right? Yeah, well, I mean, like, look, well... Sorry, go ahead. Well, I mean, yeah, no, no. What, what I'm kind of saying, I mean, first off, I'm an Arsenal fan. It, it, is, it is also, but as, as much as we can talk about, <laughs> oh, man. but as much as much as we're talking about other sports, it's not the NFL. I mean, this is, yeah, I know the I know the uh, English Premier League also is a huge money maker in Arsenal, especially. But um, the NFL, at some point, you know, you're you're not you can't tolerate things, or else you kind of become the Bengals, and you know. Mike Brown has kind of run his franchise away where wins and losses weren't that important. 
Uh, but now they have become important because the culture of ownership has changed. Um, you no longer have necessarily a firm old guard. You've got a lot of new owners of which Dan Kroenke is part of that new guard, the Jerry Jones ownership, the Robert Kraft type of guys uh, uh, who are very innovative. Now, these are guys who've stuck with people. I mean, we've seen Jerry stick with Jason Garrett for a long time and Kraft. Of course, why wouldn't he stick with Bill Belichick? But there have been different levels of successes and different things in their franchises. Um, with Kroenke, you know, I still think he's he's figuring it out. He's still a businessman, but this is the NFL. And, and I think if you have one or two more years of of this, and all of a sudden those fans don't show up when you're when you're jacking up your you know your 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 uh, licenses, your seating licenses, and your season ticket holders when you move into that new stadium, and you're tripling the the cost, and people are like, "Why am I going to pay this?" That will get his attention more than anything. Yeah, and I think uh, who was it? Sashi Brown, the uh, general manager of the Browns, said the other. What did he say? I mean, I don't, I don't. I'm paraphrasing, but the wins and losses are not uh, the most important, or whatever he said. He pretty much came out. Yeah, and they're, said not paying, it they're not. They're, they're not paying. They're not paying too much attention to wins and losses that year. That wasn't. That wasn't really the best thing to say in your outside voice. Well, and it was also great that it came now instead of in week one. I think. <laughs> I think it's <laughs> yeah. easier to say it now when you're where they're at. Uh, Steve, one more question. I want to get to the football stuff, and I'll let Josh kind of segue into that. But you're a St. Louis native. Um, you know, the, uh, obviously the community there and the fan base there has. Uh, reacted. Similarly, I, I remember, you know, I was a Rams fan before they left Los Angeles. So I remember that, although, you know, the pervasiveness of social media uh, made this a, a different animal entirely and running a site like Tertial Times made it uh, interesting to follow both camps. Let me put it like that. Um, what, what is your feeling with St. Louis, the community and as a, as a, you know, fan base that uh, in the good times certainly supported an NFL franchise very well, uh, do you, do you have any feeling about, you know, the possibility of an expansion team? I mean, we talk about Mexico city and London and those kind of places. Does St. Louis still factor in for the NFL or, you know, maybe any interest from not necessarily, you know, any reporting or anything like that, but d does the idea of St. Louis as an NFL city, uh, hold any merit in the wake of the Rams losing? No, they're not going to get another shot. I mean, no time soon. I mean, you're hearing, you know, Las Vegas and all these other things. I don't think Las Vegas necessarily is on the front burner either. Um, but no, I mean, you know, look, I, when I was in St. Louis, the football Cardinals were there and I left shortly thereafter. The Rams were still in Los Angeles when I, when I ended up leaving uh, to go away to school and start my career uh, on the East coast. But, um, you know, I've got friends, my brother and sister still live there. I've got a buddy who didn't miss a game the whole time the Rams were there until he had to go get treatment for cancer. I mean, there are people who love that, you know, who love that team. They got their hearts ripped out. They they got their guts ripped out, but you know, they'll move on. We've, we've, we've got the Cardinals. We St. Louisans, we always fall back on our Cardinals. And it's a tough town in terms of the loyalty. And they feel that the Rams are not loyal to them. Uh, and But, you know, the move had nothing to do with the fan support. It had everything to do with the stadium issue. And, you know, just like when the Rams left Southern California, it was stadium issues. It wasn't fan support. And, and you know, that's, that's a horrible emotional thing that people have to go through. And it's an unfortunate thing. Um, but for as bad as the Rams fans feel now, it's a, you know, in St. Louis, it's the same feeling that a lot of folks in LA felt when they left for St. Louis. Okay. Yeah, getting into uh, some, a couple of football questions, I want to talk about something that Jeff Fisher said, or, or it was at least tweeted today, 
where he said, uh, talking about Greg Robinson, it said there's talent and that, you know, he's only had a couple of miscues over the past four to six weeks. But it's not quite four to six weeks. Um, it's about four seasons-ish. What is going on in your estimation from, from an evaluation standpoint with Robinson? Is this a guy that fans should still believe in? Is this a guy that the Rams should still believe in? Or has it come time to maybe look at moving him to the interior and either addressing the left tackle position through the draft or free agency? Great question. Um, Here's the book on Greg Robinson. Speaking to a lot of coaches, not necessarily head coaches, but position coaches around the league and, and personnel folks. Unbelievable talent. Athletically as gifted as anybody in the NFL. But when it comes to innate um, footballness, so to speak, of having incredible instinct, of having incredible nastiness, it's not there and it hasn't developed. Um, so basically, you've got a great athlete who you they've been trying to coach to play one of the toughest positions in the NFL instead of just, you know, a guy who's a, a, a low-down, dirty dog who gets after it every snap, who knows if a guy, the guy he's playing with the upcoming week has certain tendencies and he can sniff them out within three snaps. He's not that guy. Um, so that's the book on him. So they've got to ask themselves that question because as you said, the body of work is there. He's not going to, he's not necessarily going to change. Could he be better technique wise? All the coachable things? Absolutely. But that innate football sense, if he doesn't have by this point, he might not ever get it. And they've got to wonder, they've got to say to themselves, Hey, look, you know, when it comes money time, when it comes contract time, are we going to give this guy another shot or are we going to move positions or, or are we just, you know, going to say, look, thanks. Thanks for trying a for effort um, and, and move on. You know, that's a tough question that they've got to answer. Cause again, everyone will tell you he's one of the most incredible athletes in the NFL, but you just don't know if it's ever going to click with him just being that absolute football player and not just an athlete. That's fair. Um, you know, we mentioned Gurley and, and I'm in agreement with you about the fact that it's, it's not really fair to judge Gurley too harshly in his second year. Um, the phrase sophomore slump exists for a reason, I think. But if there's a noticeable difference in, in 2016 Gurley versus 2015 Gurley. As our own uh, Derek Clausen has, has done in his film room examinations, his, his bottom line assessment of Gurley is that he's not running with the same patience in 2016 that he was in 2015. He's, he's not waiting for holes to open up. He's not following his blockers. Is <clears throat> How much of that do you see, if, if you even agree with the assessment? But also, what, what does Gurley need to correct? You know, I mean, how, how do you get around this? Is this just a case of, hey, it's a bad year and, and he'll bounce back moving forward? Or are the Rams possibly looking at, well, crap, you know, this isn't the first SEC back we've taken who hasn't quite panned out after lighting it up in the SEC. And, you know, with Bama in there, too, that that is a problem. You know, these guys sometimes don't pan out. But the hope is there for Gurley and the belief is there for Gurley and the fans. So how do you see it? 
Oh, he didn't just he didn't just get it done in the SEC. He got it done in the NFL. I mean, that guy was fantastic last year. And um, I, I think part of it is fair in terms of I do think he's pressing the hole a little bit of time. She's not necessarily reading the blocks, but it wasn't until last week, guys, when he started getting consecutive carries. You can go back. You can go to their play-by-play week to week. It went off, and he was touching the ball two times in a row. And it's really not often that he's that he's getting the you know the help of a fullback or an H back or some creative things to help get away from these uh, you know eight in the box type defenses. That said, tell me a great back that hasn't faced eight in the box defenses. I mean, Adrian Peterson he didn't have a great quarterback until Brett Favre went there. He was playing you know with Tavares Jackson and Sage Rosenfels. But they found ways to get him isolated on a safety or something like that, and then he either ran him over or made him miss, something like that. Those are things that Gurley has to do, but you don't see him getting to the second level. Now, whether it's blocking schemes, whether it's play calling, whether it's Todd Gurley not having the vision, um, I think he's a fantastic talent. I, I mean, I think he's a guy who could be really good. We said the same things about what he's going through this year. We said the same things about Melvin Gordon last year. Melvin Gordon started getting a little bit more patient. He started seeing things a little bit differently. They changed up their off. The Rams changed up their run game a little bit. And all we heard in the offseason was we're tailoring it to Ty Gurley. Well, then when you see Ty Gurley getting, you know, 15 carries and very few of them back-to-back, it's hard for a stud to get into a rhythm. You can see the, the, a team like the Saints, which is a passing team, they'll feed Tim Hightower the ball six plays in a row in the passing and run game. Rams don't do that with Ty Gurley. They take him out on third down. They tip what they're doing by taking him out on third down every third down. So I think it's a combination of things. Um, I think Gurley's got to be better. But the offensive line's got to be better. But the play calling and the play design has to be better because I'm just not buying this eight-man-in-a-box stuff is making it tough. Yeah, he's seeing it a lot, but ask Marshawn Lynch if he never saw an eight-man box. Yeah, that seems to be my issue, and, and Joe will will uh, kind of sort of wrap this up unless Steve wants to answer one or two fan questions. That's that's sort of been my issue is that when people fall back on that eight in the box situation, I I I think the same way you do. I'm like, well, you know, Adrian Peterson probably saw eight in the box quite a bit the season he was chasing Dickerson. Like, I can't imagine teams were lining up to say, okay. We're not going to let you throw on us, but you can run all day if you can get the game going. That No, that wasn't how it was working. Adrian Peterson was, as you said, seeing, you know, eight, nine, sometimes even ten in the box because they knew the run was coming. <clears throat> now, I'm with you. I think Gurley has all the talent in the world. When I saw him run in college, I, I thought this is a guy who can make it. Um, unlike some of the Bama backs, I thought that maybe their first step was a little bit slow or they didn't see the hole as quickly. That talent, those issues were never there for me with Gurley. So I, I'm curious, this all falls back to, you said there's not going to be any coordinator changes, but if that... I didn't say that. I thought you were, you were saying that there, sh- there wouldn't be. My bad. I apologize. Um if they're, you know, you look at that play calling and that play design, that's really where I'm honing in on with the Rams. When I looked at that Miami game, my thought was, you don't, I knew they were never going to open it up because that's not what you're going to do with a rookie quarterback. But I mean, that was as vanilla a playbook as I think I've ever seen. I just, it didn't make sense to me. And, and Gurley did get going, but then they took the, as you said, they took the ball away from him. I, I don't get it. Why, why do they go? Why do the Rams consistently go away from things that are working? 
Well, you know, it's it's. It, I've been asking it all season. Uh, all season, why doesn't he touch the ball two plays in a row? I know you want to spell him some on third downs, and Benny Cunningham is, a, Cunningham is a nice third down back. But sometimes leave Gurley in. Keep Make other teams guess on third and five instead of assuming. Um, you know, just because Benny's in, they're going to, you know, they're going to, you know, run a pass play. Look, over in London, that Gurley line up in the Wildcat and hand it to Benny Cunningham. Can you imagine Adrian Peterson handing it off to Matt Asiata or something like that? No. It's not going to happen. So um, there's a lot of things I sit up and after just covering the sport for a long time and, and seeing, uh, you know, uh, talking to a lot of coaches. I mean, with, with the Rams drafted two tight ends this year, right? When is the last time you've seen a tight end release on the line of scrimmage and go straight up field to force a safety to cover him? I bet you the next time will be the first time. That's how you pull a safety out of the box sometimes. You know, we, we, they, they do everything wide, and they run slants. They don't do anything in seams and post. And if they do, they haven't executed them well. But there are ways to pull players off the line of scrimmage, make them think about a couple things, you know, if you, if you don't actually execute it, and that could help spring the offense. I mean, right now, I just don't know how much confidence um, everyone really has that they're going to go out and have to score. And, look, they've got to play – New Orleans, New England, Atlanta, and Seattle is rolling right there. That's four in a row. Now, the Rams' defense is going to keep them in. They're, they're playing absolutely fantastic football. But they're going, to have to score, they're going to have to score at least 21 points to have a shot in any of those games. So I guess the, the, the moral of my, my long-winded question back there is at the end of the season, if the play design does not improve dramatically between now and the end of that stretch – does Boris come back or do they look at keeping him and maybe shifting some of the play calling responsibilities? How do you see that playing out? Cause I think people can stomach Fisher and the defense for another year. It's the blandness of this offense that, well, frankly is painful. It's painful. It, no, it's dreadful. And, and you know, it just depends on who's available. And I know one guy who's available right now, and that's North Turner. He's done well with young quarterbacks and good running, you know, talented running backs. That's kind of been a forte of his. North Turner could be available next year. Um, there could be a lot of guys on the market where you have to say, you know, yeah, you know, if we can get North in here, that that might be a good thing. Um, or or somebody else who could become, you know, who might not get a head coaching job or, or you know, there's going to be some changes. There's going to be some quality people out there. Um, you want to take a look at, and then that's where ownership or management has to say, can this guy do better than what Rob Boris is doing? Or if we change personnel on the offensive line, if we get a number one wide receiver, um, well, how, how will that affect what we want to do with our play caller? So um, there's a lot of factors in there, but I think the most important thing is, is will there be somebody available who could do a better job than what the Rams are, are doing right now? And, you know, look, averaging averaging less than 15 points a game and then averaging 9.7 over the past four, you know, that's, that's dreadful offense right there. Indeed. And for those of you who are wondering how Steve has so much knowledge, well, he began his second stint in the NFL in 2005 for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution after covering the Dolphins for the Miami Herald in the mid-90s. He also covered the NBA for the Washington Post and a variety of other sports in a 23-year career that started in Richmond, Virginia. In addition to writing for NFL.com, Steve is also a reporter for NFL Network's Total Access and other shows. 
shows, and we cannot thank him enough for bestowing all of his information. Steve, Joe, unless you want to get in one last statement or something. Only one and a half. I got a billion jokes. Y'all went off on a thousand tangents between your hatred of the SEC, uh, Steve pretty much suggesting we should re-sign Jared Cook. Uh, there's a billion ways I could go. Uh, let, let me ask you this, Steve. Uh, we talked about a bunch of players. We talked about uh, Jared Goff, Todd Gurley, two guys that we didn't talk about. Aaron Donald, who is so good, we don't even need to talk about him. And the more expensive signing, the one that they re-signed this offseason along with Mark Barron, Tavon Austin. What What is a Tavon Austin? I tell you what, that contract was actually one of the biggest punchlines around the NFL. I mean, a lot of people couldn't believe that they signed him to that deal. I mean, he's an electrifying player, but he's, is he a game changer? I mean, it's, it's cliched analysis, but a lot of people around the NFL are like, he's a small player who plays small. He's not going to make those catches across the middle like a Golden Tate or Steve Smith or Deshaun Jackson. You know, they, they have to find creative ways to, to get him the ball. They only target him twice in Jared Goff's debut. So, you know, I, I don't think there's anyone. I mean, look, they, they know he's a great returner. He's a great returner. He's a gimmick guy who can hit the home run at any point, but there aren't a whole lot of teams going into the game saying, hey, we have to stop Tavon Austin. That That's not you know their first or second option. So, yeah, they may say we have to know where he is, but he's not drawing a lot of double teams. No, no receiver on their team is. But the fact that they committed that money to him and they're on the hook for a while, he's going to be around for a while. But, again, a lot of folks around the NFL were scratching their heads that they committed to him, especially at that money, when there was no other team in the NFL that was going to give that to him. Well, it's not like they had anybody else that left in free agency like Janoris Durant. Ah, that's right. Um, Steve, we brought you in. Asked you about the state of the uh, Rams franchise. Uh, on the way out, before we let you go, uh, appreciate you spending time with us uh, here on Turtle Radio. Uh, your state of the NFL. This has been an interesting year. Uh, down year for some teams that people – uh, thought would be in the mix and heavily in the mix. I mean, Carolina obviously coming out the Super Bowl struggles in Green Bay. The teams on the ascendancy like Oakland and others. What's kind of your sense of the NFL 2016 season? How are things shaping up, and how do you think they'll shape out when we head into Week 17? Very interesting. I mean, I think we're going to kind of going to have some of the old guard. I mean, I think it's you know, well, not including Dallas. I mean, I think Dallas is for real. Um, that's definitely one of the biggest surprises. No one saw this coming, and. You know, the Tony Romo injury, and um, I'm blanking on the, the, the back of the left-handed kid who got hurt. The, you know, the back of quarterback down in Dallas who got hurt in preseason. Sanchez? And, no, no, Kellen the kid Moore. from Boise State. Oh, Kellen Moore. Kellen Moore. Kellen Moore. Moore getting hurt. And and uh, Dak Prescott coming in and being so great, and Ezekiel Elliott being so great. So, you know, it's, it's a typical NFL season in terms of some of the teams that made the playoffs aren't going to make them this year. You know, Minnesota had all the injuries. Um, but you know, Seattle, Seattle, I, I don't know if anyone's going to, is going to get them in the NFC. Um, I, I thought Arizona, when they got Chandler Jones, they found the missing link and, you know, Carson Palmer reverted back to Carson Palmer a couple of years ago and he's throwing interceptions and, and the offense isn't functioning well. I, you know, I thought that team was as good as any team on paper as we've seen in recent memory. Um, so interesting year, not a ton of great scheduling pairings week in and week out, but you know, it's always, it always comes down to the final five or six weeks. Love what's going on in the AFC West. Wondering to see, you know, where the NFC wildcard team could be. Could it be three teams from the, you know, NFC East? Could Tampa slip in there? 
I also love the fact that some of these young quarterbacks are playing. I mean, Marcus Mariota and James Winston look like the real the real goods. Um, so I love interesting Mariota. to get a lot of. I want. I, I do too. I'm, I'm a huge. I'm a huge Marcus Mariota fan. So, um, real interesting. And you know, you know, some some teams like San Francisco, we didn't think they were going to be very good, but we didn't think that they were just going to be, you know, absolutely awful like they've been. So interesting year, typical NFL season with the ebbs and flows and controversies and shortcomings. The injuries have been significant. The officiating has probably been questioned more than ever. But you know, I think in the AFC, you have to wonder. You know, we're all saying the Patriots, but you know, look, they gave up Chandler Jones, they traded away Jamie Collins, and aren't playing Jabal Sheard. Is that defense good enough to handle an offense like Oakland, and vice versa? Um, so it's going to be really intriguing down the stretch because some teams always tighten things up, and some teams going to let this going to go off the rails. It's playing well now. Well, Steve, man, I, I I absolutely can't thank you enough for for taking time to spend with us. It's it's been an absolute pleasure. Love your work and love the fact that we were able to borrow like about forty minutes of your day. Uh, it's rare. It's rare in the journalistic world that you'll get this kind of time. But you seem to be you seem to be having a relaxing evening, and I hope that we were uh, we were able to contribute to that in some small way. No, it's all good, guys. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely, man. And Steve Weish of the NFL Network, ladies and gentlemen. It doesn't get any better. Pretty much uh, the peak of uh, football civilization right there, right? Pretty much. I mean, look, at he's got, you know, St. Louis roots. He's been in the game for a while. He's NFL Network. He's... You know, inside, more or less inside 32 franchises. That's uh, somebody who knows when the, the kind of things that he says about the Rams. You know, a lot of times the stuff that we say, we're speculating and then we're deducing based off evidence, right? When, when you, as a Rams fan, when you watch the team over five years, you can say, okay, I get this. That when he says it, he says it knowing the players, knowing the coaching staff, knowing the front office and knowing the, the, what people around the league are saying about them. The way he talked about the Tavon Austin contract, that's not pulling you know something out of his ass. That's him saying, look, there are people, the, the peers of Les Snead and Jeff Fisher and everybody else involved in that decision-making process, they're adversaries. The people that they're essentially you know fighting for jobs against are the ones that are evaluating their conduct and saying, no, nah, that doesn't make any damn sense. And so, you know, the, w when he says it, it definitely carries the weight of somebody who knows what he's talking about, a as opposed to us as fans who uh, digest, you know, he's, he's kind of a chef or, or almost like a, a critic, a food critic. You see what I'm saying? Like, like Jeff Fisher and Les Need and Kevin Demoff and all those guys are the chefs and they prepare this meal and then we eat it and we say, oh, that was horrible. And he comes and explains, well, the reason why it's horrible is this. And so, you know, to have him on and the, the what's the right word here? The, the weight that his words carry. Uh, I think that's um, in year five of Jeff Fisher. I think those were words that I, I'm glad to have heard. Well, I'm sure you weren't thrilled to hear. I think he'll be back next year. Well, um, I'm not surprised. But well, I, I, no, I, nor I, am I. Nor am I. You know. Hey, man. Hey, like if if you hooked up with a nasty girl and you went 
and, and had an outbreak of something and you went to Planned Parenthood to get like, or your doctor or whatever the case may be to get tested and it came back positive that you had herpes, you're like, well, Josh, I wouldn't you be surprised. You wouldn't, you would be like, I'm not surprised, but that doesn't mean it's the news I want to hear. You know what I'm saying? Like you'd rather hear, no, it's just this weird fungal thing that we can treat like don't hook up with nasty women well what's weird i think what's weird is the, the way they've approached it right there's been this consistent leakage of rumors going back to december of last year it, it, it just doesn't make any sense like there, there's this weirdness to the idea that you've had so many reporters allude to the idea that the, the the way that he said he sh- that what whatever he said i i, I don't want to quote him because i can't say the words directly but whatever it was, the, the, you know, you add that to John Clayton and you add that to uh, whomever else. And the, the fact that there have been so many reports and just this idea that a contract extension has already been signed. It's kind of maybe the number one conspiracy theory in the NFL right now is the idea that the Rams have already signed him to a con- contract extension. They just haven't announced it. I, I, I don't know. It's one of these things where you wonder – why the Rams can't just operate things normally, like and especially as a team that's not they're not the Browns, they're not the Jaguars, they're not the Forty Niners, they're not they're not going to pick in the top three of the draft, even if they had you know kept their first round pick, and they're going to win more games this season. They're headed towards something of the seven and nine, you know, results that we've gotten in recent years. It's just weird that that's where we are. That it's this kind of thing of you know illusion and speculation it's in this weird gray area between yeah we know he's coming back and no we know the conditions that would get him fired like what he said if they went 0 and 16 1 and 15 he wouldn't be back but you wonder why that why why he's so certain of that but the idea that seven and nine would be okay i don't don't know man right i mean well you always run the possibility with a rookie quarterback of of entering into that seven and nine or possibly no a losing record or, or, you know, even a 500 record. The question here for the Rams, and we didn't get into it with Steve is even though we saw Goff do some things in his debut by and large, it felt like the game was too big for him on Sunday. Oh. I, or that the game was wasn't allowed to be anything but too big for him, and and that that's what I tried to write multiple times before that the this Rams offense wasn't going to allow him to come out and just rip it. They just, I mean, the, what I said on Twitter was, which invisible wide receiver do you want him to throw to twenty yards downfield? The Rams just aren't. They don't do that. You know what I'm saying? They got guys crossing at five and eight yards, and it's very hard to make you know an impression that 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 we get because who was it? It was Fred Rogan uh, tweeted out the 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 rank the the ratings that all these other games got that the Cowboys, the Raiders, both got better ratings, TV ratings than the Rams did. So when you see Dak Prescott and you see Derek Carr, you get this bar that's set of saying, okay, well here's what functional quarterbacks do in the NFL. Here's the kind of throws they make. And and when you get to Jared Goss debut, you want to see him make those throws. But if there's no receiver running that route, it it doesn't matter what kind of arm Jared Goff has. It doesn't matter his footwork. 
he's not going to make those throws because there's nobody to throw to down there. And I think, yeah, I, I get the idea that the game was too big for him. I, I just, I, I would push back against that only to the degree that this offense well, didn't allow him. Real quick, I'm not saying that the game will remain too big for him. I am saying in a box, in a vacuum, in one Sunday, in one start of Jared Goff's NFL career, the game looked too big. What happens next week? Don't know. We'll see. I'm not discouraged by Goff's performance. I don't think Goff is a bust based off that one performance. I agree with you that we don't even know what he could do because they weren't opening up the offense like that. They don't have the personnel to do that. Well, that's not necessarily true. They do have quite a bit of speed in Kenny Britt and Tavon Austin. If they wanted to run them both and just throw the ball up, they could. Those guys have the speed to catch it. But that's not necessarily a brilliant way to, to, to lay down a, you know, a 10 and six season or an 11 and five season, you know, just throwing the ball up. Um, so the the only, the only, the only rebuttal I would throw out is the alternative is what we're headed for. You know, we're at four and six. We know we're headed for seven and nine. What's the, what's the harm in, at least sprinkling more of that. I, I get the idea. You're right. That doesn't necessarily constitute a blueprint for success when you do it with some kind of frequency. The problem is when you do it with no kind of frequency, you get you get what we got. 100, 134 passing yards, dog. There's there's no other I offense where I watched. Where, huh? I watched. I know. I saw, I saw you on Twitter. And that's the thing is there's, there's like, you can't pick an offense in the NFL. There's none that would do that, but I can't think of maybe a couple in college and they all run some crazy, like Navy or, you know, when Auburn used to run that triple option, Georgia tech that would allow a quarterback to throw for 134 yards on 31 yeah. attempts. <laughs> and the head coach and the head coach would come out and say, yeah, he did a good job because he had no delays of game. Yeah. This is this offensive system. I mean, it's just nuts. Brilliant opening statement ever. He didn't have any delay to game. <laughs> that's like, that's like saying, well, my kid got home from the amusement park and he didn't piss himself. <laughs> it's crazy, man. So that's the thing. Like, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you about the idea that the game looked too big for him, but that system just reduces quarterbacks. What what I said on the Seattle Seahawks uh, me, field me, goal. Let me open up this question so that way you can keep going. And this comes in uh, from Andrew Photo, who goes, Shula from Carolina, pick up Norv as an OC, Bowles or Bradley is DC, one of them will be fired. Let me just add on to that, and I'll put the same question to you that I put to Weish. What should the Rams do about offense, the offensive coordinator, or the play design next year? It doesn't matter, man. They, they, they've done this, right? They, they, you said it. This is the second re- – they had – they've done this before. They had Sam Bradford. They had Brian Schottenheimer. Bradford couldn't stay healthy, and even when he was, he wasn't spectacular. So they tried plan B, which was Austin Davis, Sean Hill. They tried that on the fly. Plan C, a full rebuild, was Nick Foles as the starter. Case Keenum was the backup. That fell through. They promote Case Keenum to the starter to you know, kick off this second rebuild. And, and, and nothing's really changed. And, and, and when you talk about the play-calling standpoint, they went from Brian Schottenheimer who was so bad that not only did he leave the Rams, he went to Georgia and got Mark Richt fired from Georgia because the offense was so bad. 
Rams replace him. They they have a they have a think about this. And this is where I talk to Lanny all the time. And shout out to Lanny for helping us get uh, Steve White. Yeah, amen. Uh, good, good call on that. I'm glad somebody remembered to do that. I'm uh, bringing it up now because I, I say to him all the time: the you can't think about the Rams logically when when you start thinking about logic. Everything breaks down with the Rams. They haven't done anything logically, and the offensive coordinator is a great point. That you go into last season with an offensive coordinator, you know, search between Frank Signetti and Rob Boris. Rob Boris loses to Frank Signetti. So if you fire Frank Signetti and promote Rob Boris along with Case Keenum at the end of last season, neither of them won the starting gig to start the year. So clearly, they're not good enough. So when you go into 2016 and Rob Boris is still your offensive coordinator and Case Keenum is still your quarterback, those were the guys who weren't good enough to win the job a year ago. So why why would you keep them installed in both of those positions to start your season? You know, and I get I get the idea of job security and it just doesn't matter and. You know, the Rams are looking beyond 2016, and if Fisher's got that kind of job security, he can do that. But it's one of those things where it, it doesn't make sense. And they, they, they passed on Brian Schottenheimer. They passed on Frank Signetti. I guess they can pass on Rob Boris, but that's not the problem. I mean, you've gone through – Well, the thing I said to Steve was you've gone through so many. The resume is so long for Jeff Fisher now. That, that everything's already been argued. There's every counter argument that you could have to say, well, maybe if this is different. No, he's done that. He's had other offensive coordinators. Well, maybe if he had a different quarterback coach. He's gone through three. He had, he had one, then he had none, then he had another. Well, maybe if he had a d- different quarterback. He's gone through seven. <laughs> you know, it's, at some point, every single argument that you have is something that they've tried differently. They, they've gone through everything. No, what, other, what other head coach, Josh, think about it. What other head coach has had two number one overall quarterbacks to work with? Uh, I, uh, yeah, he's had two of them. Like, not even think about all the head coaches that wish they had one. He's had two of them. Well, maybe somebody at the Lions franchise, Matt, Matt Millen, maybe. <laughs> no, nah, see, Millen was on his wide receivers, and That's you know true. that did that didn't work out. But uh, remember the team he handed off: Calvin Johnson. A year later, Matt Stafford. They had playoffs a couple of years ago. I mean, they weren't they weren't in the position that the Rams are in. I think that the the biggest difference is people are saying, "Why don't the Rams do this?" Because they refuse to, and and that's the thing. That's the thing that's really frustrating is that they could, if they wanted to, they could let guys go. There, there, there's no reason Jared Goff couldn't make a throw downfield or at least try it in his in week eleven of his rookie season. We're not talking about week one. Dak Prescott been making them throws for three months. We talk about his first NFL start coming in the middle of November. The reason why they don't let him is because they don't want to. And I, I don't know. I, I don't see why that's going to change. So Ramsard wants to know, when does the Sean Mannion era start? <laughs> Sean Mannion's a human somewhere on this earth. Somewhere Sean Mannion exists. That's a that's a third round pick a year ago. And remember, Chris <laughs> got the third round. I know it's laughable. It, it really is. That's a third-round pick in his second year. Dak Prescott's a third-round rookie. I don't know, man. That uh, Rams heard knows. He knows the deal. It's a, it's a great question, but uh, the bigger question is what the hell are the Rams doing? And you know, that's that's not something I have an answer for. 
Well, Animazoso wants to know if I can move my mind. Oh, no, that's Serge, uh, Serge Cervantes. Uh, Serge, we're working on getting all the audio levels uh, perfect. Please bear with us. I promise you I'm just a loud mouth. That's really what it boils down to. <laughs> um, so Animazoso wants to know, now that we've seen a whole 60 minutes of Goff playing a regular season game, Sans Fisher Ball, what is Goff's ceiling? Like, you can extrapolate that sort of information from a 60-minute window. But go, Jay. Nah, I don't know. I don't. I have no clue. Same. Um, we, we haven't seen him work with a, a consistently functional offensive line. We haven't seen him. I mean, you look at the spray chart. I think I retweeted it. I know I dropped it in our Slack chat room for the staff. He just didn't uh, throw downfield, and so when you run that kind of when you run the kind of offense where you can go seventeen for thirty one for one hundred and thirty x yards, it, it's it, I don't I don't know I don't know how you evaluate a quarterback like that. I've seen I've seen a lot of people you know uh, what's his name Kyan who you guys talked to, um, he had some stuff that he was tweeting out today, and I saw Doug Farrar t- you know tweet this stuff, and that's all valid. I mean when you talk about footwork and. You know, the the technical stuff about, uh, you know, arm motion, throwing motion and those kind of things. And I get that. And that's very technical stuff. But here's the deal. It's it's like somebody who has a, a imperfect jumper, you know, in the NBA. When LeBron. he goes – you know, sure. When, when, when he goes off, it doesn't matter. And I get it. Most guys don't do that. But the, the Rams traded up for this kid number one overall. The, the expectation is – I don't give a damn about the technical stuff. I really, I really don't. I just want to see can he make the throw, and if yeah, he can he make can put it, put the football in his asshole and fart it yeah. out downfield if I, he I, has to. I don't I, care I, how I, it gets there, as long as yeah. it gets there. All right. So, uh, what about Saffold at left tackle? The Stain Sports wants to know. Uh, move him outside and slot someone in at guard. And why did we cut Garrett Reynolds again? I don't know. But here's here's what I think is funny, Josh. Ask this question. Imagine Stan Kroenke hires you today and says, "All right, I want you to come in here. Here's what here's your job. I'm going to pay you a million dollars if you're able to fix this offensive line with this personnel by the end of week 17." I ha- I have I have zero clue what you could possibly do to fix this. I have, I have no idea. Uh, I think I think the problem is again. Jeff Fisher's had five years. He's had plenty of time. These are all his guys, either drafted or re-signed. Uh, like you said, he's had other guys like Garrett Reynolds and Barrett Jones and um, yeah, plenty of other guys that have come in and gone out. And uh, Joe Barksdale, guys that have you know played uh, respectable football. And uh, you know, you, at some point, you just have to own the fact that maybe. Whether it's the personnel or the coaching, at some point, you know, in year five, there's some intersection of both. Um, and Greg Robinson's maybe the epitome of that. Yeah, you move Roger Saffold to left tackle. That You know what the crazy thing is, Josh? We're talking about Roger Saffold going into week 12 who hasn't been injured. The, the Rams have de- – and Good i got to get the injury report out on the site. I mean, we were recording this a week uh, on Wednesday night. The Rams got three guys on the injury report. Facing a New Orleans team that's got like a dozen, uh, let alone all the people they got, you know, injured reserve. The Rams got Josh Forrest and a bunch of guys that barely made the barely would have made the fifty-three man roster. They got their they got everybody they wanted. Everybody's healthy, and it's just not working. You know, Cody Wickman, 
you know, beats out Jamon Brown for a starting job. What does that say? What does that say when you flip in guys that started all the year last year, which Jamon Brown did till he got hurt, and then loses his job going into the season? That doesn't make any damn sense, especially given the fact that Cody Wigman didn't play last year, and Jamon Brown got drafted in the third round. I mean, there's no way to answer it. I, don't, I, I guess you could move Roger Saffold over to the left tackle, but at this point, it's one of these things where you can't you can't fix this in 2016. And the problem is he's had plenty of seasons to address this because you could say that about the offensive line the last couple seasons. That's fair. That's fair. Okay. Uh, how about a fun one from Wobble Free? Do you think Goff knows not to fry a frozen turkey? Hell no. Goff don't know nothing about frying turkeys. Goff, don't let Goff anywhere near a fryer. Period. All right. So Wes Abs. <laughs> has a question. Have you ever fried, you ever fried a turkey? Have I ever fried a turkey? N- no, but my wife's, uh, I don't know what the hell he is, what, like, brother-in-law or something <laughs> like that? I don't know what the crap he is. We don't like him anyway. Um, okay. <laughs> but he, he fried a turkey one year. That's right, dude. I got married this past weekend, dude. There's something to celebrate. By the way, let's, there you go. Let's put it on the podcast. Congratulations. Thank you, thank you, man. I am I am now Josh Webb Thompson. Uh, I am. So uh, we know the answer to this question. Uh, we know it's going to be no. We are still talking about fried turkey. No, 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 no. We're switching it up to Wes Abb's question. Who goes? Do you think we should open up the offense more? And do you think we will open up the offense some more? What happens if no? So let's skip, let's say no and jump straight to the end. Uh, if, I mean, if no, you see what we saw last week, um, you know, it's going to be predicated on whatever we can get out of the run. And if we don't get anything, and like Steve alluded to, if the Rams aren't committed to consecutively relying on Gurley and not running them on third downs, then, you know, you take this train. I want to talk about fried turkeys, Josh. Here's the thing. Your boy been frying turkeys since I was 13 years old. There, I want to say 2000. No, it was before that. It was like 1997. I got up. Uncle wakes me up at 3.30 in the morning. He lives in Studio City. Um, drives me out to the valley. Again, this is like before sunrise to fry 13 turkeys and the backup point guard for the Lakers comes by getting a fried turkey by some 14 year old Creole kid. This is like 96, 97. Now that I think about it, what do we get? We get into Thanksgiving, man. All I care about is food. My wife's working on stuff right now. I can smell it. This is what Thanksgiving's about, frying turkeys, enjoying time with family. You don't need to be waking up before sunrise, frying turkeys for Smush Parker. That is not the thing to do. You don't want your brother-in-law, who you and your wife both hate, frying turkeys for you. You don't want Todd Gurley being... Let me me put this in context, because... We usually nah. do Christmas and Thanksgiving at her grandfather's house, and he's dying of cancer. So you kind of sort of have to be in the same space as him because, you know, everybody wants to, to, to be able to spend as much time around this man as possible before he goes, and rightly so. He's one badass individual. And, uh, 
you know, I'm blessed to have known him. So it's, it's not really an option that I get to hang out with him, but he does do the cooking. So there's that. And his birds are pretty good. So I've eaten a fried turkey before. I'm okay with it. I don't mind some fried turkey. Uh, but stuffing is a must for me. I have to have stuffing. If there's no stuffing on the table, it ain't Thanksgiving. Get it out. And gravy. Brown gravy. Here's the problem. is my, my family's from Louisiana, so, like, the stuff that we must is, like, stuff that people, like, you know, we, oh, invented, totally the fried turkey. we, we invented the turducken. Like, the, yeah, like, the stuff we do now, people in 15 years will say, oh, that's amazing. That sounds delicious. Like, yeah, nah, man, we've been eating that for 20 years. So, like, Thanksgiving and food, this is one of those things that is, like, you know, you just got to let the Twitter wars happen. You saw it today. I, I'm sure you've been back in Twitter. You see people ranking food and talking about stuffing. I like a good stuffing, man, but I'm up here. We talk about animal livers, parts of shrimp that most people that get thrown away before it even gets to the grocery store. This uh, Louisiana and food is on another level. It's hard to keep up. Oh yeah. This is where I put out a shout out to, uh, my friend Alexis Alvarado, the mother of, uh, USC's punter, Chris Alvarado's he actually is a, uh, uh, a student aid helper at uh, McNeese State um, and is all New Orleans, man. She she usually tweets some some of the grub that they get down on. And, and you speak nothing but truths, man. It is a smorgasbord of food you've never seen before, but that if you're into that kind of thing, just looks downright delicious unfortunately for me i'm not a seafood guy so that eliminates a lot of things for me i still find a way to supplement it with you know shit like gravy and stuffing and you know honey ham to go on the side so uh you know that everybody thanksgiving is a personal holiday man you gotta you gotta eat the way you gotta eat on thanksgiving and everybody's gonna have a different approach to their game day man you know some people are gonna line up with a prevent defense and try and eat just enough so that they don't throw up other people are just gonna go and pound the rock and they're just gonna grub down everything and you know let the button pop off their pants and hit somebody in the eyeball it's that's right it's it's all about how you approach Thanksgiving and and I, I want to know man readers listeners haters send us what your traditions are on Thanksgiving are you a guy that lets the button go are you a guy that uh, or gal that uh, eats minimally and, and samples a little bit do you stuff your face What's your favorite side dish? Let us know. We want to know this stuff, man. Tweet us. At us. Send us pictures. Uh, and, and the most delicious foods may even catch a retweet. Um, but moving back towards some football questions so we can get out of here because we're actually doing pretty well on time. We're only about an hour in. Uh, who comes to mind for the winning era of Rams football and Fisher is gone and Cronky accidentally <laughs> prioritizes winning? That's from JVoss23. Who comes to mind? Um, well, it, it, the thing I tweeted out about, or tweeted out, wrote on the site uh, not too long ago about the free agency is really the big thing moving forward. The way Steve talked about the Taylor Austin deal is um, kind of my big takeaway is that. 
you know, the Rams had all these draft picks. And it's not just about drafting well. It's about drafting Bell and retaining guys. When you do the kind of deals that the rest of the NFL looks at and goes, why the hell are they doing this? In the same offseason that you lose Janoris Jenkins. And I get it. They they didn't. They prioritized other things. They wanted to move forward on other priorities. I get that. That's the way to run a business. But bad decisions have impact. Um, and so that's the kind of thing when you say, you know, who comes to mind? Aaron Donald's coming up soon. Um, Alec Ogletree's coming up soon. Um, you got the whole wide receiver core, more or less, besides Tavon Austin uh, coming up. Lance Kendricks, I, I, you know, I don't even know what a Lance Kendricks is right now. But, you know, in the wake of a Jared Cook and drafting two tight ends this year, and, and like Steve Weish alluded to, without really attacking the tight ends through the seam. I, I don't know, man. This is this is one of those things where what comes to mind is I think it's going to have to be components that we don't have. Because if you had asked me a year ago, two years ago, how good was the personnel, you know, under the right conditions with the right coach, I I think that was a team that could have made a playoff run. Now you're starting to see this roster decline, and you're starting to see it fall out. Now, they've gotten a hell of a lot better play out of the defense this year, but that's after four starters lost, right? And and so – you, you have to question how much longer can they get this because at some point, look, Trumaine Johnson is on a tag, and they didn't sign him long-term this offseason, and there's no certainty that they will next year. T.J. McDonald's coming up. Uh, E.J. Gaines coming up with a list Frank injury in his history. Um, you know, there, there's, a, there's a lot of decisions that this team has to make on both sides of the ball, and that's the way the, that's the, way the game works. But the fact that they haven't gotten the most out of that personnel and now they're risking losing it, that's a, that, what comes to mind is you got to start making good decisions. And, and if you're going to re-sign Tavon Austin and Mark Barron and not land Janoris Jenkins and Ronnie McLeod, you better make damn sure it, it works out. And, and at least on defense, you can say, yeah, the defense looks fine. But on the offensive side, you got to wonder if, if the guys that they have aren't good enough, then, then what are they doing re-signing them? And if they are good enough, why aren't you getting more out of them? That's absolutely fair. Um, well, I guess this sort of piggybacks out on that from a GIS Ram show who wants to know the playbook has been regurgitated for the last few years now. So what are Goff's chances with the same offensive system? Yeah, I mean, that's the same as the question before. We get, we got to wait and see. I mean, it's at some point that they're going to open things up. Um, whether they're not doing so because he's not ready or the game's too big, like you said, uh, you know, if that's the case, then why the hell did they trade up to draft him number one overall? And why did they play him last week to start with? If he if he's not ready, why not wait till 2017? Um, if he is ready, then go ahead and do it now. And I'd suspect that we're going to see them open it up at some point. Maybe it's New Orleans. And maybe what it's going to take is unlike last week against uh, Miami. Is maybe what it's going to take is if the Rams go down, if New Orleans comes out and scores two touchdowns early, and the Rams get pressed to the burner, maybe that's when they say, "Look, we can't, we can't play to protect the lead. We got to go ahead and try to get back in this game." And the only way we're going to do that is allow Jared to push the ball downfield. Maybe that's what it's going to take. If that's the catalyst that we need, damn it, bring it on. But uh, you know, you got to wonder why this uh, uh, this brain trust can't get to a point like that where they're doing those kind of things and finding those things out in NFL action unless something like that happens this late in the season. That's just crazy. So Manu Harari wants to know, where is Isaiah Battle? Manu with the Isaiah Battle heater. 
Yeah, that's a, so that's a guy they took uh, last year in the supplemental draft. Essentially, spent a 2016 NFL draft fifth rounder on him. That's a guy. Again, logic that uh, that'd be the kind of guy, along with Andrew Donald, that if you're looking at replacing Greg Robinson, he should be in the mix. Rams have had two years to coach him up, coming out of Clemson. Um, yeah, I don't. I mean, if you got an answer for that, Josh, I don't. Uh, that's a big fat negative, it, sir. It, yeah, it's like Sean Mannion. He's a human somewhere on this earth. I don't know. All right. So Dej Drew's got a pretty, I think, uh, an interesting question here. Realistically, what would Jeff Fisher actually change in the offense of the next upcoming games? I don't know. Nothing. But that's a, that's a thing. This is you talk about week eleven, year five. If he, if he was going to change it, he would have changed it by now, right? He would have changed it going. You know. He, he, you talk about how many quarterbacks he's had and how many opponents he's faced. This isn't like a situational thing. <laughs> no, you're right. It's not in any sense of the word. I mean, as you pointed out, like every argument has been exhausted at this particular yeah. point, you know? I mean, Tavon Austin was supposed to get 100 receptions. He may not even hit 100 yards. I'm saying that, you know, hyperbolically, but... but well, it's, a, it's the same thing you said about penalties, is that, you know, when you when you keep saying you're going to fix it, and you, this is... No, 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 this is who you are. There, there is no difference in the offense. This is who we are. Yep, exactly. Um... Well, I'm going to skip that one because uh, it's basically the same question. Um, <laughs> I guess here's a fun one. Amaraquai wants to know, how bad do you have to be as a head coach to get fired by staying cranky? Well, and, you know, the, Steve, Steve said it in as many words, right? And I'm going to be interested, you know, when this is recorded, we get it up on the site and go back and listen. In uh, the way he talked about the things that Jeff, Fi- the the things Jeff Fisher has been asked to do, that that was his words, right? Was that that Jeff Fisher has been asked to do certain things? It, it, uh, it certainly seems to me. You know, what were you going to say? No, I said I believe so. This that's all I was saying. It, it, I was just yeah. It seems it seems like th- those things that he's being asked to do carry some weight in, in the fact that he's willing to do them that they carry some weight in uh, the circles that determine his employment and that his willingness to do so perhaps buys him some longevity and so the idea of what does a head coach have to do if anything it would be those things failing right. on those, whatever those things are those community efforts the branding efforts the marketing efforts getting to London early Having Britney Spears and Jock Peterson in practice, you know, when you're gearing up to have your number one overall quarterback make his first start, uh, you know, do it. The media stuff, the media interaction and the constant influx and not just we're not just talking NFL network. You're talking international media because that's where that's where Stallion Kroenke is trying to go with this brand. Um, the, the facilitating that stuff takes time. And it takes ever yeah the Mike Silver piece that was out on NFL Network uh, and NFL.com about Jared Goff's first start. You don't get a lot of that kind of stuff, that kind of access, and that kind of introspection for a lot of franchises. And the reason why, to be blunt, is they're focused on football. They don't have time for that stuff 
because they, they're too dedicated to, to, to making the most out of every moment they get to get ready for the game to make sure they win the damn game. That stuff just isn't as important for the Rams. And, and you know, I, I just I just don't think – and Steve said it. He thinks you know, Fisher's going to be the – barring a 0-16 or 1-50. That's not going to happen. Even, you know, 4-12, okay, but this team is not going to go 4-12. They're going to beat somebody. They're going to beat probably two teams. They, at worst, end up 6-10. and 10. And probably that will be good enough for Jeff Fisher to stick around because that's not – the breaking point. The breaking point is if he couldn't handle the other stuff. And this is, and I should, I, I meant to ask this for Steve, and now I feel bad about myself is that, that you know, I mentioned the idea that Jeff Fisher just tied uh, Tom Landry, you know, um, second most losses all, all time, except, you know, he did it in a hundred less games, did it in about six less seasons, um, and certainly doesn't have the highest high points on his resume that Tom Landry does. There are things that Jeff Fisher does incredibly well. And, you know, and I don't just mean that on a personal side because I think he's a, a cool guy and he'd be fun to hang out with. But that's true. But on a professional side and the way he manages the responsibilities of his position, the stuff that Stan Kroenke, Kevin Demoff, whomever asks him to do and kind of requires him to do, there's a lot of it that I think he's very good at. But and that's what I wish I could have asked Steve is what are the things that he feels that he's doing well, that he hears and that he sees that Jeff Fisher is doing well, because I think those things ultimately matter more, at least to the degree that a fifth losing season doesn't ultimately get you fired. Because that's what that's what you had on the sheet was. How do you justify a fifth losing season without getting fired? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and why does Jared Goff wear a parka in L.A., man? This is crap that people want to know. Mike, get your questions out of here. We're trying to talk important stuff. You talk about Jared Goff in a parka. I didn't even see Jared Goff in a parka. T-Bron wants to know, good old T-Bron, he wants to know the coaching options, the coaching level, what can Fisher do to keep his job? Well, pretty much what he's doing. <laughs> We've exhausted that. We've gone through that yeah. every which way. But here's the thing. Again, you talk about year five, 32nd or 31st ranked offense in points and yards, whichever way it is going into this week. How do, name, name another situation. Name a college team. That would that would and obviously you don't have thirty two teams, but that would that would accept five years of being last in the maybe Texas Tech. Now that's a Big Twelve. The pack maybe you could have made an argument for Colorado. You can't make that anymore. You can't make it in two thousand sixteen. There's nobody that would you can't accept even make it about the Wazoo now. Well, I, uh, uh, that's not bad. Wazoo. We'll have to see. Look, hey, I'd say this. They come out of this weekend and beat Washington. Ain't nobody going to care that they care. But, yeah, maybe Wazoo's defense under Leach. That, that's that one of those rare situations. And even then, I mean, they win, they win in games, and it, the season didn't start the way that obviously they wanted to. And whatever. I mean, there's probably a lot, a lot of Rams fans who have no idea what we're talking about. But no doubt. They, they, it's just hard. It's hard to think of what Fisher is doing. In year five, with the leash he's got, it's just almost impossible to imagine, man. Well, let's get to our poll question before we get out of here. Posted last night, R.E. Rams' new head coach, 
Greg Williams won, but how about a new few challengers? And the poll was Josh McDaniels, Dana Holgerson, and John Gruden. (laughs) I like it. I like it because it includes my man. I love some Dana Holgerson, man. I get, I get. <laughs> so John Gruden is leading at 48% because John Gruden. Uh, Josh McDaniels is in second with a robust 27% with Greg Williams coming in third at 17%. Which means uh, – Anna Holgerson is in fourth with 8% of the vote. Uh, here's, what I, here's what I want to – and I'd ask you, Josh. We talked about Kevin Sumlin. Uh, last week, who's who's somebody that you'd like to see? Now, here, if we're being honest, I don't think anybody's coming to this team from college. I think it's all going to be NFL stuff. But but who's somebody at the college level that you'd like to see the Rams? Yeah, David Shaw makes sense. He's so sensible, though. I almost don't want a sensible. I want a Dana Holgerson. I want a cra- I want the old dead was it 2012 Dana Holgerson. I want Dana Holgerson drunk at the Morongo. I want you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Yeah, come on, man. At least if we're gonna lose, I'll make it fun. I want, I want way more of John Gruden's moose knuckle. <laughs> Why two banana spider? This guy, ugh. Oh, Sluggo, man, man Sluggo. Uh, one of the things is people talk like Bill Cower or Gruden or. Any of those kind of guys that would have to come, or even Jim Harbaugh, but Jim Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh's not coming to the Rams. Um, is I, I don't, I don't know, I don't know that it, that's the right fit. Is to go back to somebody like that. Th- that's kind of what Jeff Fisher is, right? Jeff Fisher's the experienced guy. Jeff Fisher's the guy who's you know supposed to be able to uh, allow his experience to see the wisdom of his ways and, and what didn't work before. And when if it doesn't work to you know try something that he didn't try before and that that's not happening so I I, I don't know I just kind of soured on the idea of bringing those guys back uh, you know I think the more likely thing is some <laughs> some either up Kiffin no <laughs> you know Lane Kiffin's coming back to USC you know he he's got he's got to end um. I don't know, man. It's just one of those things when you talk about the NFL level and how insular the NFL is. I mean, look at the way they treat Chip Kelly, right? And, and I, guarantee, I guarantee you, if we had asked Steve how Chip Kelly is viewed around the NFL, it's negatively. It's negatively, you know, throughout organizations that that he's kind of an outsider and his outsiderness is something that's viewed without uh, the kind of positivity that we looked on him as when he was at Oregon and the guy that does things strangely and the guy that does things new and isn't afraid to try to blah, 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 blah. It's, it's not the way that we look at that. It's, uh, you know, the NFL is conservative. The NFL is traditional. The NFL likes itself. And so w- when you got somebody that comes in and tries to disrupt that, I don't think that's something that they enjoy or something that uh, – and to be honest, let's be honest, that, you know, that they're all too upset about the San Francisco 49ers being a one-win team going into week 12. Well, they could be the Browns, a no-win team. Uh, well, who would they get that one win against? Let's see it. You know what? Forget that. Let's not – let's just skip that. Let's just keep going. Yeah. Let's get some final thoughts in here before we get out because I'm hungry. Uh, I've been snacking. You ain't been snacking yet? 
Nah, I can't eat and do this at the same time. Uh, I just you need to learn. <laughs> Uh, it's just not, it's not my jam. I can do while I eat. I can eat. I can eat during work. I can eat during podcasts. I can eat. I can eat while I eat. I can double eat. I can eat, eat on top of my eating. Um, but any final thoughts? Any uh, any last words, as they say, on on the Rams and and the upcoming game this week with the Saints? First off, big thanks to Lanny and obviously for Steve Weiss for coming on. Uh, cool opportunity to uh, speak to an NFL insider like that. And, you know, the, like I said, when, when, when he says stuff, it carries more weight than uh, most people you can talk to because you know he's coming from a place of uh, reality rather of trying to, to deduce what's going on. Um, as it fits for the Rams, look, everybody clearly – you, you go into this week, everybody wants to see more from Goff. And the preponderance of the listener questions was about the offense and Goff and where, you know, what can they do different and why aren't they doing X and Greg Robinson and the offensive line and this kind of stuff. Um, it's just one of those things. It's, it's hard to buy into the idea that it's going to be any different. If it was, it would have been different last week. Um, yeah, and, and here's what I don't understand, Josh. Let's assume we go into New Orleans and they – Let's say they open it up. They do the opposite. Jerry Goff flinging passes downfield, you know, pushing linebackers' safeties back, and all of a sudden Todd Gurley got all this room to to run. Why, if that works, and, and you know, even even if there's a mistake, right? Deep interception. What we saw Ryan Tannehill do, right? Lance Kendricks fumbles the ball. Ryan Tannehill takes a shot deep in the end zone. It's an interception. Whatever. It's the same as a punt, but he took a shot, and, and who knows what kind of effect that has on the defense. If it works to some degree, shouldn't we be asking why the hell we didn't do that in week t- week eleven against well, Miami? Okay. And, and overall, shouldn't we be asking why the hell weren't we doing that from week one with Jared Goff in the first place? Well, it sort of goes back to the question I asked Steve about why teams uh, or why the Rams in particular get away from doing things that work for them. I mean, that's sort of the million dollar question, isn't it? Um, you know, I hadn't really noticed or I think I probably paid that much attention to the fact that Gurley isn't getting back-to-back carries. That was a really illuminating perspective on the situation that in some way mitigates the the sort of blame to be placed on Gurley's shoulders because everybody – Everybody needs rhythm. You know, the same set of quarterbacks, they need to get those reps, they need to get those throws, you need to find him and get him in a rhythm. Same thing with a, a shooter, you know, he's got he's to gotta start shooting to find his stroke, so on and so forth. If Todd Gurley's not even getting back-to-back carries, well... That wouldn't make a large bit of sense when it comes to deducing why he's having a rough season. He's not being fed with any great consistency. Yeah, and the t- the tough part is that that's nothing new. The, the 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 thing the Rams have always leaned into was the idea that you know in at the end of Stephen Jackson's career that it was the end of his career. And then thereafter that they were going running back by committee. And so now that they've got Todd Gurley, you want them to kind of do that. It's just the the excuses they had of why they weren't before maybe weren't as sincere. And so, you know, this example number 11 billion times trillion of the Rams saying one thing and doing another. And ultimately, when you ask them why they did it that way, Jeff Fisher has some other 
some other avenue to try to get out of it, to wiggle out of the way and excuse, oh, well, you know, I'm not making an excuse, but the sun was in his eyes. I'm not making an excuse, but it was raining. I'm not making an excuse, but, you know, uh, Mars was in lunar orbit with uh, the Tropic of Cancer. And so that's that's why. That's why we didn't run, Josh, is lunar orbit. Be sure to give us a follow on Twitter at Turf Show Times. <laughs> be sure to give Joe a follow on Twitter at 3K underscore. Scotty can be found at Scotty J Sports. And sure if you would like that. to follow our wonderful, wonderful helper on the podcast, Mr. Brett Lancaster, you can do so at Lanny OSU. A big shout out to him for getting the Steve Weish interview set up tonight. And you can find me on Twitter at fight on twist uh so with that uh i am josh webb thompson josh webb thompson he is joe mcatee he is scott johnston and we are out Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function.